And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. You may remember on the 21st of August of 2017, here in Florida, we had a very interesting phenomenon happen. Uh, some of us were prepared, some of us weren't as prepared, and we tried to scramble around and use our Amazon Prime to get those special glasses so that we could stare at that maybe two, three times in a lifetime event, an eclipse. And I remember uh, my daughter came home from school and she said, well, don't worry, Dad. The teacher showed us that in school, if we don't have those special sunglasses that can protect us so that we can stare straight at the sun, um, there's another way to do that, Dad. And she said, just grab a magnifying glass and then focus that magnifying glass onto a white sheet of paper and you'll get a reverse image of the eclipse. We can't stare at God's amazing beauty. It's just too much. It's too overwhelming. But what we read in this passage is just how amazing this glory is. These passages that we've read, whether it's the story in Exodus, the story in 2 Corinthians, it's referencing Exodus, or this story in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus and, and his transfiguration on that mount. We see God's glory being displayed. We see Moses there who, who talked to God face to face. As Paul says, and we with unveiled faces will be transformed from glory to glory. These passages tell us three things. One, that we, we all wear faces. Uh, we all have a face, we all wear a face, and then thirdly, that we have a face that we are going to become. There's the face that we have. Now, you, you may, you may um, have read the book, Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, which is, is referencing this story. Uh, but it's also referencing the story of Cupid and Psyche. But in it, there's this one portion where, where one, of the, one of the characters says, I wonder why the gods won't speak to us face to face. Obviously, it's an allegory that he's saying, but why will the gods not speak to us face to face? And then the character goes on to say, I wonder perhaps if they're waiting until we have faces. There's the faces that we have, the faces that we wear, and the faces that we will become. And maybe that whole allegory of Cupid and Psyche doesn't really ring a bell for you. Maybe you need a more modern illustration about how we all have faces. And that might be uh, that kind of silly movie from the early 90s, The Mask, where the character Jim Carrey says, we all wear masks, metaphorically speaking. We all wear masks. But there's the mask that you were born with. There's the face that you were born with. I love the fact that our prayers at the table, our Eucharistic prayers start, not at, at the night that he was betrayed, but it starts with creation, the idea that you and I were made in his image. In love, he made us for himself. And when we turned away, he did not reject us, but he embraced us and welcomed us to sit and eat with him. In Christ, he shared our life that we might live in him. And, and, and that's the beauty of it. You and I were made 
for this glorious communion with God. You and I were made for this amazing relationship. You were made to look like your Father in heaven. That's what Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. You are made in the image of God. You are made to reflect his glory. Just as the moon reflects the glory of the sun, you and I were made to reflect the glory of the Father. But then we turned away. We turned away from him. And we stopped reflecting that glory as much. We wounded his love. We marred that image in us. And that's the faces that we wear. There's the story that we have there in, in, in Exodus. And then Paul gives us a little bit of a Haggadic midrash, if you will, a bit of commentary, rabbinic commentary. And he says, God wants to speak to us face to face, and yet we just, it's too much for us. So we put a veil. We, we put up appearances. There's the faces that we wear. I remember a friend of mine who used to worship at Falls Church. And uh, in the 1960s, he dated one of America's first supermodels. And he tells me this story when he was in Paris uh, before he, he married her. And they both went to this party that was being thrown by Salvador Dali. And in the party, uh, there was that signature animal that Salvador Dali always had, that tiger. And the cocktails were flowing and everyone was mixing about. And, and it was glorious. There was this glory in seeing that tiger in the presence of all these humans. And then as he got closer to the tiger, he discovered that the tiger was declawed. And then he discovered that the tiger was sedated. He then discovered that the tiger was wearing a small little chain, but you wouldn't have seen it had you been far away. There's the appearances that you and I put on, and then there's who we really are inside. And as he sat there, he thought to himself, well, isn't this a parable with all these European barons and viscounts and all these socialites? And even of my own story, I'm here and, and the libations are flowing and some are probably sedated with other things than just libations here. They realize, I wonder if that tiger is actually more free than all of us here and we are just wearing masks. There's the mask that we were born with, that we were given by our creator, by our father. There's the faces that we put on that actually enslave us. They leave us sedated. They leave us unaware of reality. We think that it allows us to see reality, but it, it actually veils our eyes to the, to the reality of it. But then there's the truth of what you and I will become. What you and I will become. And I love the story of the transfiguration because, you see, this story of the transfiguration tells us what reality can be. It tells us what reality actually is, but we, we don't peek behind the veil that much. We don't peek behind the veil to see, is, is it just the Wizard of Oz pulling some levers? Or is it actually that reality is this glorious, dazzling, brilliant thing that you and I couldn't dare to look at because it would overwhelm us too much? And Jesus, there with Moses and Elijah, lets us peek behind the curtain and see life for what it really could be. We're looking on the world stage and we're seeing the masks pulled back, if you will. 
And I'm not talking about mass pullback in the, in the sense that we got updated diocesan guidelines and updated guidance from the CDC. I mean, th this Wednesday, our new updated guidelines from the diocese are, are saying that, that you may wish to think about giving up your mask for Lent. Uh, you're more than welcome to make that one of your Lenten devotional practices. You may also wish to keep it. That's also a good Lenten practice. I'm not saying that it's because it's masochism and you're punishing yourself, punishing yourself by keeping the mask on or you're punishing yourself by taking it off. Either way. The point is, is that the mask, some people are thinking that'd be great to have the mask come off. But in another corner of the world, we're seeing masks come off. We, we saw a man who was a sitcom TV star. A man who, in some senses, was just a comedian a 44-year-old man rising to an occasion that we are kind of frankly in awe of. A man who is staying when it might be his certain death. And we see another man on the other side of it who is, the mask is being ripped off and you see him for who he really is. Now, here's the thing. In every war, you can't say these are the goodies and they're the baddies. Because the problem lies in our own heart, and it's way more complicated than that. So if you are tweeting and you do decide to, treat, you know, to tweet glory to Ukraine, just have a think about it before you do that. Someone whose great-grandfather came over from Ukraine in 1888, think about it before you tweet that. It's really cool. It has been used in a good way in the 1917. It it's being used now, perhaps, in a good way. But in 1941, it was used by Nazi battalions, so please think about it before you just tweet glory to Ukraine. It's more complicated because the veil is being pulled back and you get to see, ooh, he's not as bad as we thought he was, or maybe he's, he's actually more brave than just a sitcom guy, or maybe this guy that we thought was a tyrant and dictator is even worse than we thought. But you see, Jesus is telling us that the veil is pulled back not just on Putin and not just on Zelensky. The veil is being pulled back on our own hearts. Lent is a time of reflection, of introspection. It's a time of, of thinking about ourselves and examining our lives. One of the things that we do every Sunday, and we particularly do during Lent, is we, we engage in what's called confession. St. Augustine used that play of word, confession, to write a whole book. One, he, he said who he was before God. He tells how he was a young man and he liked to jump a, a wall. And he said, you know, I jumped the wall because there were some pears on the other side. And I thought it would be a great idea. He says, and I took the pear and I ate it. It didn't belong to me. And then he says, and guess what? On top of that, I don't even like pears. I just did it because I could. And he's, he's bearing his heart saying that. But then he goes on to say he, li he lived a very uh, licentious lifestyle there in Milan. He was doing Fashion Week way before Fashion Week ever happened. But his book is a play on words because it's not just a confession about himself. The word confession can mean two things in Latin. It can mean saying who we are, but it also means saying who God is. And that's the glimpse that we got in the book of Psalms in the psalm for today, this, this glorious picture of this majestic king. And then we got a little peek behind that veil on the Mount of Transfiguration, a little peek behind there. 
You see, we can look at other people and say they're the issue or they're the problem, but this Lent, let's, let's think about that and let's actually bring to bear confession in our own lives. Say who we really are. But then let us also say who God really is. He is just. He's merciful. He's loving. That's why Jesus Christ opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. The veil is pulled back, not just on that mountain outside of Jerusalem where Jesus is transfigured. And, and there's, this, there's this, this song that was sung years ago, and I'm not trying to rehash or open old wounds. I know that some places don't sing the song. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry. But it says, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with the beauty, with, with the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. The idea that God peels back that veil so that you can reflect that glory for others. Maybe it means just shining a little bit of that light when you're in the public's checkout. Maybe it means working for justice and human trafficking. Maybe it means helping people who can't help themselves at Christian service center and helping the people that are, are vulnerably housed or are hungry. Maybe it's doing mission like that. Maybe it's helping run the Alpha course here at the cathedral. But the beauty of it is that God wants to transfigure you so that you can transfigure this world. On a different hill, a few weeks later, Jesus Christ pulled back the veil in the Holy of Holies and gave you and I a glimpse at the love of God the Father. When he on that cross, as he cried, it is finished. The veil of the temple tore from top to bottom and we were granted access to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that on that mount of transfiguration, you not only transfigured your son, but you transfigured all of creation. You transfigured us that we might live lives that please you and lives that bring your truth, beauty, and justice everywhere we go. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would help pull back the veil from our eyes this and every day forward. Amen.